Hi, and welcome back to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark LaRousse, and this is a very special episode. But before we dive into this incredible guest who we've brought on the show today, I just want to let you know that if you've been thinking about sharing your story and your message out into the world, but you've been feeling stuck in the starting blocks, and maybe you've even read my book, Glow in the Dark, and you've loved the content, but you want to get a bit of help to how to implement it, then come and check out my brand new course, Own Your Story. I'll put all the links in the show notes below, where I'm going to teach you everything you need to know to put yourself, your message, and your story out there so that you can grow your audience, build trust, and inspire action. It's one of the most exciting projects I've been involved in recently, and it's literally turning my book into a really practical program and course. So if you're going to go and check it out, all the links are beneath this show notes and beneath this video or this audio, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And I can't wait for you to come and join us and apply to be part of the next cohort. Now, today's episode is a very special episode because I'm going to bring on my friend Sarah Knight, who's written a bunch of books, but her brand new book, Grow the Fuck Up, is coming out today on the 4th of April. And uh, I'm incredibly honored that she got to jump on the show with me that we could get to talk about why she wrote this book, why this book is going to change your life, why it's actually full of humor, but also super practical advice. We talked about her journey of like, despite having written three books that have sold over 3 million copies, she still has to write a book proposal for her books. We talked about how her life has changed or not since she's become a global international bestseller, how a TEDx talk has gone on to see and get reached 10 million views, which is pretty crazy. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let room for the incredible Sarah Knight, who you might know or not know, was actually really kind enough to read my book and leave me a book blurb that we put on the top of the book in the front cover. That's how much I love her work. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one and only Sarah Knight. All right, everyone, welcome back to a very, very special edition of the Unconventionalist podcast. I am joined with a guest who came all the way back in May 2016, which feels crazy. I mean, I was just thinking about that. Anyway, it's crazy. Um, Sarah and I, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to read out, you know what? I'm going to be super lazy. I'm just going to read out your bio. I know it's really awkward when you're standing there and I'm just reading your bio for you, but I just thought it was quite funny, actually. I, I liked it. So Sarah's night, first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving. Actually, no, before I jump into this, I'll say this. If you've never heard of Sarah Knight before today, um, A, you've been missing out, or B, you pretty much are blind, especially if you're in the airport or anything like that. Um, your book's everywhere. Like, I, I remember since we first spoke back in 2016, I sometimes send you pictures. Like, I'll go to, like, some random airport, and I'll be like, hey, Sarah, look what I've just found, like a book. So you're just, like, everywhere. So much so that you sold, what, over 3 million copies of your book? You know, no biggie, no big deal. Just a few copies. But, um, sorry, Sarah Knight's first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, has been published in 30 languages and counting at a TEDx talk, which is awesome. Go and check it out. Uh, the Magic of Not Giving a Fuck has more than 10 million views. She's a New York Times bestselling author, and her other titles include a lot of swearing. Um, get your shit together. You can do you. Uh, you do you. Calm the fuck down. Fuck no. And the compilation, No Fucks Given. Her writing has appeared in a bunch of really cool magazines and publications. And a No Fucks Given podcast has 1 million downloads and reached number one in Apple education charts. After quitting a corporate job in 2015 to pursue a freelance life, she moved from Brooklyn, New York, to the Dominican Republic, where she currently resides with her husband and a shitload of lizards. Um, your hair's grown since I saw you last time. That's like, you know, there's a few things to it, like colors change. And well, it's got, it's got, it's these got things, things got happen, longer. you know, since 2016. Uh, there were yeah. also sort of two pandemic years there where I wasn't going to the salon. <laughs> so just kept growing. As it turns out, hair keeps growing. Also, mine yeah. has gotten gray, which is why I've colored it a different, uh, different yeah, well, color. Look at this. Look at this. I've got a gray beard now. For those of you watching this, on like, you know, if you're, if you're not listening, I've got a bit of a gray beard. And before we begin and talk about your awesome book, which I've got here, I just wanted to say on record, because I said this before, but I want to say thank you so much for like having taken the time to like find my book and, and provide like this amazing testimonial that's on the front cover of my book. Um, Pretty cool. I said this to, yeah, I, I said this, but I'll just say it again. My mom at some point after publication reached out to me and she was like, Mark, I've just spoken to Sally. I'm just making up. I can't remember what her friend was called, but I just spoke to Sally, who's an author and she's written a bunch of books. And she said you had Sarah Knight on your on your book cover. And she said she sounded like a really big deal. I was like, yes, it was a pretty, pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. So thank you so much. I really, well, really appreciate it. Well, tell Sally or, or whatever her name is that yeah. I said, hey, and thanks for the, <laughs> yeah. thanks for the, the shout out. <laughs> 
I will. So we're here to talk about your brand new book. I'm going to zoom out of this. Can you see this, people? It is Grow the Fuck Up, How to Be an Adult and Get Treated Like One. Like, because you know I'm a transparent kind of guy, I haven't had time to read it yet. I have kind of gone through it. I've looked at the press release, but we decided to jump on this call either way because I've loved the content that you've been putting out. Like, I've been looking at the videos about, like, stop stealing the shoes of your sister and not giving them <laughs> back. And, like, you know, all that stuff. So, first off, I'm going to ask, like, where do you get the inspiration from writing these books, right? Because you've written a bunch of books now since I've last spoke to you. Um, where does that inspiration come from? Like, how do you go to like, hey, this is a good idea and I think it's worth pursuing to write about? So each of the the no fucks given guides, as we're collectively calling them, has yeah. some aspect of personal development uh, that I needed, you know, and it started with mm. the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. I was an, an incredible mental health nadir, uh, you know, for a, a, a very long time when I was living in New York, I was working at a really high level in my career in book publishing. I was very depressed, extremely panic stricken. And, you know, to make a long story short, figured out that I really needed to be working for myself and that the thing that was mm. the biggest problem in my life that was causing all of this mental health, uh, you know, chaos was was my job and the fact that I was showing up to a corporate environment and trying to practice diplomacy and not feeling like I had as much autonomy as I wanted. And so, you know, I made the plan and I spent a year saving up and I quit that job and it was both terrifying and also an enormous relief. And that was when I wrote the first book because I, I was really inspired. I was like, I've been tidying my mind the way Marie Kondo, who wrote the yeah. tidying bestseller, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, yeah. um, is telling you to do with your garage and your closet and your kid's playroom. Hmm. And so it started there with like, this is something I needed. I needed to focus on what's really important to me, get rid of all of the stuff that isn't the people, the hmm. responsibilities, the tasks. Um, and so I wrote that book and it was it was meant to be, you know, it was meant to be a parody of the Marie Kondo. It was meant to be funny yes. uh, and entertaining and to have these nuggets of truth, but it took on a life of its own. And so I've been lucky enough to be asked to write more books. And yeah. each subsequent one has sort of been a little nugget of something mm. that I needed to learn. Even Get Your Shit Together, which mm. was the follow-up, uh, you know, I I am a very shit-together person in many ways. I'm ambitious. I'm you know, I, I follow through, I'm, I'm motivated, but there are ways in which I was also driving myself crazy. So that book mm. was for mm. people who really can't get it together at all, or people like me who are maybe getting too much together <laughs> too many times. And it went on from there. You know, You Do You is about building confidence and feeling comfortable being the person you are in the world and not sort of succumbing to societal pressures to be something else and calm the fuck down was my ode to anxiety, uh, you know, and so this, the new book, Grow the Fuck Up, was really more about me thinking, you know, I'm a child-free woman in my mid-40s. I'm never really going to have the opportunity to kind of mold the young minds. My brother had his first child during the pandemic, so I'm a first-time aunt. And I was sort of like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I would love to tell young me that mm. that I wish I had known, you know, before I spent this last seven years on all of this personal development Ad stuff. Adulting. Yeah, so I thought, you know, this might be kind of interesting and, and bring yeah. in a younger audience. And as I was writing, I realized everybody needs this. 40-year-olds need this. 55-year-olds <laughs> need this. This isn't just for kids. Right. Um, so it became yet another of the no fucks given guides full of swear words that maybe, you know, maybe you need to be like, 15 to, <laughs> to, to to not have right. to hide it under your under your yeah. pillow um yeah. but really it's to the it's audio book keep your headphones in uh yeah. so you know I, there's a couple of things i want to touch upon one one thing I, I don't think i ever told you this but i still remember to this day a tip that you gave me back in 2016 because you know you came from the publishing world and you were writing your book and i remember I, I forgot how i came across your book and we we connected on twitter and i think i made a joke about really love this book i'd love to get sarah on my podcast but she probably doesn't give a fuck and you kind of responded like a bit of a cheek and tongue we we ended up chatting right at the very beginning of the of the unconventionalist podcast and you said i asked you a question i said i mean your book was doing well but it definitely wasn't like the global sensation that's become right and i remember asking you what do you think makes a bestseller? Like, how do you write a bestseller? And you said something like, I don't even remember this, but you said something like, oh, you know, I don't think there's any formula. If you had, you know, everyone would be using it. But if you can think of 10 people that you could recommend this book to, that's usually a good indication. And that has always stayed with me. 
it's always stayed with me this idea that like can you can you think of 10 people this book would be for does that is that still something you hold true now that you've gone to the other side like global best-selling three million copies do you think that still like holds, holds true yeah, I mean, that actually, that piece of advice came from uh, an old boss of mine named Jennifer Barth. She was my editor-in-chief at my second mm. publishing job. Um, and she said, you know, when I was looking to acquire books by by other writers and to publish them, she said, you know, one of the litmus tests is, can you think of 10 people you would give this to? Mm. Um, and that, you know, I took that through my whole career as an acquiring editor as something to really think about, you know, in terms of weighing the pros and cons of trying to publish something. Because it is mm. such a massive labor-intensive process for everyone, from the writer to the editor to the Hmm. publicist, you know, everybody who's working on the book, the art director. It's just, it's huge. So you really want to think to yourself, you know, of all of the many things that make this a worthy idea, that make this a talented Hmm. writer, you know, does it all combine into this magic ball of something that I really can identify 10 people in my life who need it, who would love it, um, and I do think about that with my books, you know, because uh, they're, they, they, they each have their own individual kind of focus. You know, Get Your Shit Together is about being organized and motivated mm-hmm. and Calm the Fuck Down is about dealing with anxiety and solving problems. Um, Grow the Fuck Up is actually the broadest of all of these. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it, it, it might reach the most people uh, because mm-hmm. really it's about just these, these core skills and, and abilities and mindsets that you would do well to cultivate if you want to be a successful, respected, trusted mm. adult in the world who can also find ease and pleasure in the process of adulting. You know, I'm out here to make it easier for you. So hopefully that sounds <laughs> yeah. appealing to at least 10 people. No, no, I love that. And I, I, want, I want to dive into that. And, and you said something which I just want to kind of uh, pause just so people listening understand. And, you know, acquiring editor, I think that was the word you, you term mm-hmm. you used. We might have a different one in the UK. But basically what I understand that to be now that I've gone through the process, as a friend said, I know how the sausage is made, mm-hmm. um, is that effectively in, 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 in publication, traditional publication houses, you'll have someone who's looking out for like new potential talent or authors or books to acquire or reacquire. And that was like the selection process that you're talking about, like you're looking at, okay, is this not just a worthy idea, but this is a potential um, recommendable idea, right? Like a book that you can come. Now, we, we joked about this offline and things that, you know, I, I reached out to you and I said, how the hell have you written so many books? I mean, I've done one book proposal and I'm pulling my hair out. And do you still write book proposals to this day? Like when you're going to pitch to your publishers an idea like, hey, I've got this idea about writing a book about adulting. And like, do you still have to go through that process? Yes. Annoyingly, they still make me go through the process. Um, So my first book proposal, I think, was like 40 pages long. It was, it had like a full chapter. It had very fleshed out ideas, you know, and that's, Mm. frankly, if I were, I think in the UK, they call them commissioning editors. If I were a commissioning editor, you know, I would want to see that from a first time author. I would need Mm. material, you know, to really be able to trust that they they knew what they were talking about and, mm. and, that, and to get some proof of concept. Um, you know, I think the second proposal was probably, you know, 25 pages long. And then the third one was maybe more like 15 plus all of these great yeah. review quotes and best-selling yeah. stats. But, but in fact, when I had the idea um, for Grow the Fuck Up, I tried to, I tried to pitch it uh, to my editor in New York uh, over a dinner and then he came back and said, well, I'm, I'm going to need a proposal to take it to my team. And I was like, ah, you know, just try to be efficient you, over here. Two more books, um, two more I, books, Sarah, and you're in. Two more yeah, books. Yeah, I did. I did write a proposal for this book. It was shorter yeah. than the other ones. Though. Yeah. No. So there's also something which your style of writing is so unique, right? Like, although I haven't fully read through this book, you know, I've read your previous books. You have a distinctive voice, what people would kind of say in, in, in the kind of, the, you know, this kind of world, like you're, you're fully expressive, you're kind of raw, you share a lot of stories. Were you always comfortable to step into that place of using strong language and, and speaking to truth of situations that we can all relate to? Like, I know you've been compared to, um, I forgot where it is now, where is it? Yeah, there it is. I think in, I love the introductions. Like you were, you were described as Oprah meets Amy Schumer. Am I pronouncing <laughs> it Schumer? Is it Schumer yeah. by L? Um, and I can see that. I can see that there's there's because in your humor there's depth, right? Like you, it, it's kind of what I often say. This it's I use a similar method. It's it's almost like your Trojan horse, right? Like your Trojan horse is is, is humor to land something that we can all um, benefit from. So I'm just wondering if that was always something that was easy for you or did you or did you find some way to help you get over that hurdle of like, I need to sound like this? Well, there's 
There's a couple of answers there. And one is that, yes, broadly, I have always been this way. I've always been very blunt, you know, speak truth to power, say the things that other people might not say. And part of what was holding me back, I felt, in my corporate job was that I I couldn't sort of do that. Like if I did, I was getting, if not penalized for it, it, it was like it wasn't landing, you know, because it was this, the environment did not was not yeah, open the context, to the way yeah. I am, you know. Mm-hmm. And so being able to go out on my own, first I was just going to edit freelance. That was my plan. I, would, I didn't plan to become a writer of books. Um, but when I started being able to express myself in the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck and then ongoing in the way mm. that I always have have been inclined to, mm. it was landing with people. And what's even funnier to me is that, so I'm, I'm 44 years old, so I'm, you mm. know, 25 years out of, high school or 26 years out of high school or something. And I still have a few high school acquaintances, you know, people that I Mm. knew from the time I was six years old and went to K through 12 with who will occasionally remark to me in a Facebook messenger, you know, and people that I haven't kept up with really. They'll say, Oh, I saw, you know, your thing and you're, I'm so impressed with your books. And you know, it's just, it's always who you've been, Sarah. You know, Mm. it's just, I can just hear you when you were 10 years old. I can hear you saying this. And I was like, wow, you guys didn't really appreciate it when I was 10. (laughs) It was not the most popular uh, child who went to Wells High School. Uh, So Mm. I think that for, in some way I've, I've matured a bit. I've you know, I've I've honed my delivery a little bit, um, yeah. but somehow it it does it, it seems to resonate with people. This like I'm just going to tell it to you straight. And my theory mm. is that nobody else in your life is really telling it to you straight because they're trying to protect your feelings and they're mm. you know, and maybe they're you know, the, for some reason they they don't they don't think you want to know the truth or they think you just want to be kind of comforted and they're not offering solutions. Like I'm offering truth and I'm offering solutions. And mm. you can take it or you can leave it, but I think you're not getting it from um, other people in your life. Maybe your therapist. Yeah. I have been compared mm. to people's therapists before. So. I can see that. I can actually see that. And and you know, look, I, it's just been an absolute joy, pleasure to watch that that journey unfold. And I know that you've got products that derive from the books and journals, and it's just been incredible. So I want to dive into you know, grow the fuck up. Um, there's something in it, just in terms of like as I was flicking through and looking at the press release before we jumped on. There's something about, and I don't know if this is something that was intentional or it's a, it's a byproduct of the information I read. Because as I heard someone talk about Spare, there are those who read Spare and those who read about Spare. So right uh-huh. now I've just read about, right? Uh-huh. Um, but the idea of of taking responsibility, like something about like when we start taking responsibility for our own actions and our mistakes, you know, good things can come of it. Was that something that you intended when you were writing the book that was maybe someone the, at the forefront of your mind or something that you want to land as a message? So this book really came about, I swear I wrote like five different drafts of it over time. Um, it took it took me longer than it ever has to kind of get to the, the core message mm. of this book because I like to simplify things. I like to make them mm. sort of to be able to present them in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming. And what I came to was that there are these three pillars of adulting, mm-hmm. maturity, which is really behavior oriented, responsibility, which is action oriented, and accountability, which combines mm. both. And I think that accountability ties it all in, where you are acting responsibly, but you are also responsibly taking responsibility for those mm-hmm. actions. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the magic piece. And I realized as I was writing that, much like my other books, accountability was the thing I needed the most help with. That was the thing I was really working through. Um, mm. You know, for, for whatever reason, I, I don't like to be wrong. I, I it's hard to take criticism. I've not always, you know, behaved particularly well in the past when somebody has done that. Um, it's kind of no no surprise that I made my career as an editor where my job was to criticize other people and tell them how they could be doing things better. And then once I started having to be on the other end of the red yeah. pencil, yeah. it was a little bit of an adjustment. So yeah, yeah. I do think that that kind of core idea of responsibility has multiple tributaries. It's being responsible. Mm. It's doing what you said you were going to do when you said you were going to do it which means being a little bit more organized and and being, you know, having good time management skills and being reliable so that people will treat you like an adult because they trust mm. that you're going to do what you said you were going to do so they won't be hovering over your shoulder and poking you and prodding you and asking you when that's going to happen because they know you're an adult, you're reliable, mm. you're going to get it done. But then there's mm. the other side of that responsibility coin, which is really taking responsibility for your actions. If you make a mistake, if you are late, you know, and I give all of these tips in the book about how to both prevent 
bad things from happening. You know, don't overcommit. If you don't overcommit, it's a lot easier to do what you said you were going to do when you said <laughs> you were going to do over deliver. <laughs> um, but also setting expectations, literally yeah. telling people what they can expect from you so that they don't have to wonder and they don't have to come back to you and they don't have to ask a million questions. And then managing expectations when you do fall behind. You know, mm. raising your hand and saying, hey, not going to be able to do that thing I said I was going to do when I said I was going to do it. Yeah. Here's the new goalpost. And these are just things that I think, as with all of my books, it's a lot of common sense. It's a lot of kind of aha moments where somebody reads it on the page and goes, oh, that's so simple. That's, that's why didn't I think of that? But I'm trying to lay it out so that adulting doesn't have to seem so overwhelming or annoying uh, or difficult. You know, these are ways that you can make your life easier by doing things in a, in a you know, more mature, responsible, yeah. accountable way. And then people will treat you better because you've we'll get- treated them better. <laughs> For sure. And I'm just wondering in your research as you were going through this and probably observing in your own life and those around you and maybe it was friends or early readers, what gets in the way, right? Like, as you said, it's common sense. We kind of know, like, speak the truth, you know, own up to your mistakes, say what you say you're going to do, you know, do what you're going to say. You say, say, do what you say you're going to do. Okay, I'm going to get around it. Um, What have you found gets in the way? Like, what, what have been some of the most common traits that you found that kind of prevents people from doing just that i think there's this there's this lag time between when we learn things as Mm -hmm. kids and then Mm -hmm. when we have to put them into practice as adults so Mm -hmm. one of my my big points is you know adulting is as easy as learning your abcs your actions and behavior have consequences you knew this when you were seven years old and you let the dog out when you weren't supposed to let the dog out, you knew what was going to happen. You knew this when you were 15 and you sassed your mother and you knew the punishment that was going to come from that. You knew this when you didn't study for a test and you failed it and you had to take the class over again. You know innately what consequences are mm. and that they are directly related to actions you chose to take and behavior mm. that you chose to engage in. And yet, so many adults just kind of seem to forget that link. And they do things and then they wind up in kind of a messy situation, personal or professional, because they didn't stop and think, I know what the consequences will be of this action and behavior. Maybe I shouldn't do it that way. Maybe I should mm. do it a different way. So I'm a fan of the the two-step method, the three-step method, and I have this mm. one in the book called Anticipate Orchestrate. And it's like, stop for 10 seconds. Think about the likely consequences of the action that you are about to engage in or the behavior you are about to display. And then anticipate those consequences and orchestrate the best outcome for yourself by either Mm. not doing what you were just about to do or doing it in a slightly different way. Um, But I do think that there's this level of self-awareness that just is this kind of missing connective tissue between Things that you you do learn as a kid that, you know, you you experience these things, you understand the power of consequences, but then you're not kind of getting that self-awareness uh, in, in your adult life and really using it to your advantage. And that's that actually begins the book is it's, you know, self-awareness, self-control, self-sufficiency. Um, and once you can get that kind of nailed down, all the rest flows. I think it flows. Cause, yeah. Because what, what's the gift of it? Right. Like, let's say if that's the before and after picture. So the before picture is that is this kind of idea like we know we should. We're not we're not really stepping up to like the kind of friend we can be partner, parent, aunt, uncle, whatever the the label is. Right. Once you go through this book and you sort of get a bit of a of a friendly nudge in a humorous way, but also a bit of a reality check and you go through the different methods and models that you share, like what's on the other side? What's available for people? So I have this chapter called Finish Your Chores and Then You Can Go Play. And basically the idea is the adult version of that, I call it R&R, um, and it's it's reward and relief, you know. And if mm. you do the, the adult things in the adult way, then you will find that you will be rewarded for it with respect and trust and autonomy and freedom um, you know, because other people will be treating you like an adult. And you will find relief. In various situations where, you know, you approach them with the right actions and behavior and you've got the best possible outcome for yourself. And that's great. So you're avoiding a lot of stress and chaos and mistakes and things because you 
approached it the right way from the beginning. Mm. Um, and it's important for people to understand that, like, yes, there are going to be some things that you have to do when nobody else is legally or morally obligated to do them for you. And that is part of being an adult. And I'm not out here trying to tell you that it's a party all the time. Mm. But it can be a party a lot of the time. You know, mm. if you take some initiative and you become more self-sufficient and independent, you know, over and over in the book, I make the point that, like, here are the strategies to, to do the thing, to become more independent. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit scary or maybe it's too much and you're, you're kind of tired of it all. But if you are the kind of person who is self-sufficient enough to earn their own money, then you get to spend it however you want. And if you're the kind of person who's self-sufficient enough to budget for your groceries and go to the store and, and get what you need, you can have whatever you want for dinner. And if you're the kind of person who is who is independent and resourceful enough to plan a great vacation, you can go wherever you want to go. You no longer have to be dependent on mom and dad or a better organized roommate or, a, you know, it, like it's like you get to, by virtue yeah. of the fact that you have finished your chores, I'm making air quotes in case you know, people sure. are listening to this and can't see me, you get to go play. And yeah. there's just so much reward and relief out there for the taking if you're willing mm. to put in, uh, you know, the work to, to be an adult. What was the hardest lesson you had to learn as you went through this journey? Because you said at the very beginning that the books you write are usually the books you need. Mm -hmm. um, what was a hard lesson or a wake-up call that made you go, I need to grow up. I need to, I need to become a more responsible adult. Was there anything in particular that comes to mind? For me, it's that accountability pillar. And, mm. you know, one of the things I always wanted, like when I left my, my corporate job. I wanted more autonomy. I was like, I am willing to take these risks. And if I am wrong, then I will accept the consequences. Um, but that is easier said than done. And, you know, I, for, for whatever reason, I'm a, I'm a little bit allergic to being, to being wrong or making a mistake and having to admit to it. And I think that's just because, you know, it feels bad. It feels, mm. it, it doesn't feel good to fuck up and it doesn't feel mm. good to be told, even if it's constructive criticism that's leveled in a, in a very, you know, respectful way I hear it and I'm sure a lot of other people hear it as you're wrong you're bad you've made a mistake mm -hmm. I'm disappointed in you you know uh you're, you're an imposter uh and so this was something that I really had to kind of work on and I've been working on it you know for the last several years I as I say in the book my husband is infuriatingly good at admitting his faults and apologizing for them and so there is a bit of healthy competition uh that, that helps me get better at that um but i think that in the end and and if you make your way all the way through to the, the end of the book and the epilogue you mm. know the idea is we're not all going to get it right all the time but you got to yeah. try you know yeah. you got to try you got to own up to your mistakes you got to ask mm. how you can do it better next time you know and it's just it's not that hard if you can get past the emotional kind of like icky feeling and so mm. I have this little sort of mindset shift um in the book about like what if apologizing felt good you know mm. what if you felt Not, liberated because like you don't have to think about it again guilt. you don't have to mm. lay awake at night thinking about this thing you did that you messed up and somebody's mad at you or disappointed in you or whatever what if you just said I'm sorry and then never had to think about it again you know how liberating is that and kind of take people through mm -hmm. a few different steps of of just shifting that mindset to make it feel like a positive and like something that you can be really proud of yourself for doing, you know, humble yourself and be proud. So I've got a question on my mind, which I'm guessing some of the audience members are going to be asking themselves and they're going to go, Sarah, that's great. But what if you're just not wired that way? What if, what, what if like you're naturally incapable of being honest or, or, or owning up to your faults? Like, is this, and I know a yes or no question, yes or no answer is probably not the right question I'm supposed to be framing here, but there's something about, in your opinion and what you've seen so far, is this something that can be learned or is this something that is innate when you were born? Well, if you're telling me that you're not wired that way because you're a sociopath, I can't help you. <laughs> um, but I do have ways of helping you. And this is in the chapter called, No, I Don't Wanna. Um, yeah, you're right. Where... I was thinking, you know what, as you, the whole thing is, it was like, but why, Sarah? Like, I don't want to be an adult. I don't want to have to, like, you know, be responsible. Like, because there's also there's this there's a really like there's a relief in in being a, pa a passenger, right? In your responsibilities because other people can take care of you, and it feels good to be taken care. And you don't have so there's all this 
pool of excuses and reasons that you can justify as to why you wouldn't want to like step up as an adult. So I'm just curious, like, how would you speak to that? Um, well, to those people. in in the chapter, no, I don't want to, you know, I give sort of two, um, two like overarching tips, habits mm. and incentives. It's like, if there are things that you have to do in as an adult and you don't want to do them, you don't like doing them, but you have to do them to, to live your life. You know, you got to take out the trash. Like if you live alone and there's nobody there to take out the trash for you, it's going to get pretty disgusting pretty fast. If you mm. just make it a habit, you know, the minute mm. the can is full, you take it out. That's just what you do. Um, it just becomes rote and it's it's no longer this thing that you have to dread and this thing that you have to complain about and this thing that you have to hate. It's just like, oh, trash can's full, taking it out. You know, identify mm. the need, implement the solution, and then repeat step two until it's no longer step two. It's just a thing you do. Um, mm. Habits can really help just ameliorate some of the aspects of adulting and of taking responsibility and, you know, making your own appointments and stuff. It's just like, do it. First Monday of every month, sit down and do your bills. You know, first, you know, on the 15th of the month, do this. Like, just make it a habit. And then you can set it and forget it. And the other thing is incentives. You know how, like, I don't know if this is the same in the UK, but in the US, there's this weird thing where dentists give you lollipops at the end of your visit. They're sugar-free. Lollipops, they taste terrible, but it's like incentivizing kids to to not hate the dentist because you go mm. and you get your cleaning and then you get this lollipop and you're like, oh, I'm a kid. Yeah, like, they give a stick couldn't be happier to receive they, some they disgusting candy. Yeah. Um, you're the adult now, so you can incentivize yourself with great stuff. You can mm. be like, look, if I just do this adult thing that I have to get done, then I am going to reward myself. It doesn't have to cost any money. You can reward yourself with a dip in the ocean. You can reward yourself with, you know, a movie marathon. It could cost some money. You could be like, well, I got to go renew my passport and this is going to suck, but I have to do it. And after, I'm going to treat myself to, you know, martini and a shrimp cocktail at the bar uh, next door to the to the embassy or whatever. Um, and so habits that. and incentives are, the, are what I put forward to people who say, no, I don't want to. Because it's like yeah. this habits will make it easier and incentives will make it more fun. I love it. And I can think, oh, I can already think about a few people who, who need to read it. I definitely need to read it. Do you know 10? You know, because if you can get to 10, then, then maybe it's a <laughs> yeah, bestseller. Right. Exactly right. And, and, and I'm, I'm just wondering, do you feel like an adult? Like, you know, you said, you know, 44 now, you, you, you've gone through this book. Like, is there still part of you that's doubtful about whether you're an adult or not? Or are you like fully fledged certified adult now? No, I mean, I've been... I, I've been old before my time. I have always felt like a little adult. I probably wasn't as much of an adult as I thought I was when I was 11. Um, but uh, but no, I feel very qualified to have written this book. Uh, I'm glad that some of the aspects of it helped me uh, practice and hone some of those adult skills, namely the accountability ones. Um, but no, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm a pretty I'm, I'm a pretty good conduit for yeah. this information. Uh, and, that. you know, my, my nephew, who I kind of wrote the book with in mind, he's only two, so he's not ready to really pick up what I'm putting down yet. But someday I feel like he will. he's going to have, like, I think my publishers are calling it the no bullshit Bible for the modern adult. You know, he's going to yes. have a real blueprint. He's just going to nail been... it, thanks to Aunt Sarah. <laughs> I love that. What's been some of the feedback you've got so far from the book? Because I know it's when is it coming out? Remind everyone listening. Coming to this, out on gonna... April fourth, so, oh, so, so so less so than two weeks by... from this yeah. current moment in which we are recording. Yeah. Um, so by the time this comes out, it'll it'll, it'll, be, it'll be out. But um, yeah, so it's coming out on the fourth. So you've probably got into the hands of a few people. Um, people who actually read it unlike this very amateur podcast host over here in the uk who's kind of like jumping on a podcast you're like let's talk <laughs> no, about you're doing a whole special read. episode for me yeah, you're know, letting me talk about it that's my yeah, pub- that's a publicist it. dream okay well that's fantastic then so so but i'm just i'm just wondering like what has been some of the feedback and has any of it surprised you um well it is just starting to get out into the mm. world and people are just starting to read it so i am mm just now beginning okay. to get some feedback like you said and yesterday I did an interview with someone um from the mindset and me podcast and mm. she was so complimentary and she said mm. you know I just feel like this is my best friend you know telling mm. me how to get it together and it's so mm. she's like I I feel it, she didn't use the word kind but she used some word that was like very nice and I was like wow yeah. I've I've been called bossy before, but I don't think I've ever been, you know, compared to to this like 
wonderful guide to, you know, to having yeah. a better life. Um, like I was, I was, wor- I was a little bit worried that this book would come across as, mm. as bossy or as kind of like, mm. like not as fun, you know, who wants to be told to grow the fuck up. But then again, apparently a lot of people wanted to be told to get their shit together and calm the fuck down. So you know, <laughs> I, I'm hopeful, right. but she was, her, her reaction to it was what I had hoped for that yeah. she felt like it was a fun read and like really felt inviting. So yeah. that was, it was a little bit surprising and very gratifying to me because it proves that all those rewrites <laughs> were, it is, were, and were for you the know best. What? I mean, people listening to this who've never gone through the process of having to write and publish a book, you know, you know, says, says the guy who's written like two books compared to like, you know, a multi-global bestseller. But it's, it's this, whole process that you're behind the scenes you're working on it you're workshopping it you're editing it you're editing it you might get some feedback from a few friends or early readers until it goes out into the world it's it's not that it's an unknown but it kind of is like you kind of like have have maybe doubts or aspirations for it and and i just want to acknowledge you for how prolific you've been as a writer and 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 not just how prolific you've been but how powerful your work has been and like you wouldn't be everywhere I go if your your books didn't land, right? Didn't didn't touch upon something that people really see and recognize. Because what what every time and I you know every time I see a book, I always send you an email like a, a message where I'm like, hey, look, you're here again. Like you're just you're everywhere. So I just want I, honestly, I want to acknowledge like you for Kent. that because yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I want to oh yeah, I want to acknowledge you for like writing some really valuable, great books that you know, we'll live long after we're both gone and, and that these books are going to hopefully keep on giving lessons and I hope you're going to continue writing. And and with that in mind, if I could give you a magic wand and we could, you know, meet up in somewhere East Coast or wherever um, on my next trip over to the US and we go for a cocktail and a shrimp, um, whatever that was. Shrimp, shrimp cocktail snack. and a martini. Shrimp cocktail and a martini. There you go. Shrimp cocktail and a martini. And you tell me, Mark, I, I never imagined that this could have happened, but this happened. Like, what would that be? Oh, well, it, the problem is that the thing that I would most want is just not going to happen because of the swear words. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really would love to be on a, a talk show. Uh, in mm. the United States, I would really mm-hmm. love to be recognized for all of the things that you just said, which mm. really are, are are hitting me in the feels. Mm. Um, because I do think, and I'm going to be very honest here, that mm. there are, Oops, you know, sorry. not the readers of the books, because they've, they email me all the time about how great it is. But I, I do feel often under undervalued by mm. the media. Um, mm. And like, I'm not taken seriously, because I am using humor and using curse words and, and doing this thing. But the books really have touched a lot of people and changed a lot of people's lives. And I would love to be recognized for that by a a major media outlet, um, on TV saying the words, uh, without fear of, of the censors. And because I think that there, there is a disconnect between what the media thinks is appropriate to put out there and what the consumer wants. Um, yeah, because so they're stuck that, between advertisers, broadcasting, like they're, they're, yeah. they're kind of like, yeah, no, I get that. But I love that. So, But I'd love okay, to so, be a trailblazer, you know? Yeah, I'd be very right. happy to be the one who goes out there and, you know, it's like, what, what was the show where, where a husband and wife were sleeping in the same bed for the first time on TV? It was like Newhart or something. And everybody's like, oh, you know, they're showing a man and wife sharing a bed, you know? Yeah. It's like, I would love to be the person who goes out there on, you know, on the Today Show or on Kelly Clarkson's show and 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 do my whole spiel and have everybody be yeah. like, yes, and have their ratings go through the roof and have, yeah. you know, the media realize that they've been missing out this whole time. I love that. And I wish that for you. And, you know... I'm manifesting that right now. Yeah, no, but I love, I love that intention. I really do, because I think it's... You know, it's interesting. And that was, you know, one of my kind of last questions I want to ask you, and I'm aware of time, and um, is how I was going to ask you, like, how has life changed for you since we last spoke, you know, on a podcast in 2016? You had just one book out. It was doing well, but, it, you know, it wasn't numbers that you've got now. Now you've got a, a few books under your belt. You know, my mum's friend, i.e. the <laughs> mythical Sally, right. you know, was like, oh, I, you know, you know, how has life changed for you? 
I mean, in some ways it hasn't changed very much at all because I'm mm. not um, – I mean, it's changed, of course, globally in the way that it's changed for everybody, particularly in the last two years. Uh, mm. But I am not someone who is a household name. Um, mm. I am not, you know, I am very kind of under the radar in terms of my success. And mm. so I haven't, it's it's not like I've, you know, my lifestyle or my, my public facing kind of interactions have really be- become that different. I mean, I get a lot of DMs from, from people who mm. love one book or the other and tell me that mm. they've, you know, it's changed their lives. And those are really mm. um, oftentimes, you know, extremely intense and, and I'm grateful to have been able to help them. Mm. But like, I'm just, you know, I'm down here in the Dominican Republic. I've got my pajama bottoms on as I, as I talk to you on this podcast, I, I have my nose in my laptop when I'm working, and when I'm not, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm playing with my trash cats, and I'm having early old people cocktails on the beach, and going to bed at 10, and, you know, it's not, I'm not really, like, my life day-to-day really hasn't Mm. changed that much at all, Um, and it's partly because I think I'm just kind of on the fringes of of the sort of general knowledge, you know. I am not Oprah, and I am not Amy Schumer. Um, <laughs> not selling yes. out auditoriums, yes. you know, worldwide. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I'd be curious to see when you speak with your publisher about, you know, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever done like a European tour or come over to the UK and give like talks, you know, at the, you know, at the South Bank Center or somewhere where they often have like big speakers and we'll talk offline. There's a couple of people I can think about to put you in touch who sometimes bring over authors and that kind of stuff if, that, if that's kind of your bag unless you know you, you'd much rather stay behind the laptop than get in front of like some some wild audience of brits you know kind of yeah. mispronouncing <laughs> names left right and center but um but no but look i i again you know as, as we wrap it up i just want to say thanks for sending this this copy of the book i felt quite special quite smug i was telling my uh, my wife i was like sarah Sarah sent me like a new book and she's like, oh, that's so cool. It's like, I know. I don't know how many people have got this book in the UK. I'm going to pretend like it's one of the, oh, like 50. I mean, I don't no. even have it yet. So. Really? You're ahead of me. <laughs> no way. That's so cool. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. But yeah, it's very cool. It looks amazing. It looks really cool. I'm really, really looking forward to dig into it. Like I generally will read through this after. It, it's probably going to take me a couple of months because as you know, I'm dyslexic and I take a long time to read, which is ironic because I just wrote a book. But I want to say thank you for jumping on here and sharing. Um sharing like why you wrote this book and and i'm going to finish off with two final questions one of them that is the one i I always ask and i asked you this 2016 so let's see how the answers changed but before i do that i just want to ask you if you could give yourself one piece of advice from this book and you could go back in time maybe to the 11 year old sarah or at some point younger whenever you felt like it when would you go back in time to and what piece of advice would you give yourself Um, I actually think that I needed this, this piece of advice a little bit more in my sort of professional years, my young Mm, professional years, if I may, if I may give this advice to 22 year old Sarah, absolutely. uh, two things can be true at the same time. Um, Mm. I was so, and am so wired to take things very literally and, you told me to do it this way and I did it this way and now you're changing the rules and you're saying that you want it this other way and now I feel attacked and I feel like I've failed and it's it's way better to understand that two things can be true at the same time. Somebody mm. can ask you to do something and you did exactly what you thought they asked and they don't mm. think you did it the way you th- they thought they asked. Mm. And like it's really important to be able to step back and be like this person who is criticizing me or telling me that I that I need to do something differently just doesn't see the way I think I did it the same way I do and and that's just the reality and not to get both not not to get stroppy about it and potentially you know throw a tantrum in front of your boss but also not to feel like a failure because two things can be true at the same time you know, I my like husband that. can be very hot sleeping at night and I can be freezing. <laughs> the temperature is the same in the room. It yeah. is true that he is very hot and it is true that yeah. I am freezing. Um, so I would I, I would that. like to give that advice to my younger self because I think it would have gotten me out of both a lot of, mm. um, you know, poor, poor behavioral situations on my part sure. and also out of just a lot of feeling like I wasn't, I wasn't good enough or that I had failed. 
Yeah, there's in, in, in leadership jargon that I use around this concept is called the 2% truth. It's try and find the 2% truth in what the person's saying. Even if it feels completely untrue and unjustified and unfair, you find the 2% truth at what they're saying so you can find a, a common point of entente where you can almost have a conversation from. Um, I lied. There's actually two, two really quick questions. That the one <laughs> question I want to ask you, because I just remember that I wanted to ask you this uh, on air is, you know, I know you've read it also part of my book and I'm just curious, you know, part of speaking to truth that you mentioned, you know, that you've always been comfortable with that. Why do you think people should share their stories in the sake of speaking to truth or in the sake of sharing their experience? Like in your experience, what do you think has been the gift of sharing a personal story for the sake of service? Well, I'm glad that you that you asked this because I wanted to kind of bring this back to your book because I think that one of the things that you, that you do and which is something I, I strive to do and mm. is to lay down, to lay yourself bare to the reader mm. and to share a personal anecdote, especially one that maybe doesn't paint you in the most favorable light. You know, I, I mm. talk about my panic attacks. I talk about my having a hard time taking criticism. You know, mm. you're sharing your story with people where you're saying like this you're, you're making yourself vulnerable. Mm. And I think that people really, they they appreciate that. I'm not sure they even know why they appreciate that, but it mm. makes them feel like they're on the same level. And there are definitely a lot of folks who write in the personal development game um, or who lecture, you know, speakers, who kind of come at it from a point of view of, I'm the expert mm. and this is what you can learn from me. Mm. I know what's best. I know the right way. Mm. And I think that it's a little bit, it's, it's definitely like more, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the right words. I'm a writer. I'm trying to find the right words. It's just like friendlier if Mm. the person, if you or I are coming at it from more of a point of view of like, this is how I figured it out. And these are the the ways that I struggled. And like, Mm. maybe you see your struggle in in me or I see a little bit of my struggle Mm. in you and let's kind of work through this together Mm -hmm. and so I think that when you're willing to share your personal story even if you don't realize and you touch on this in your book about like why that would be valuable to somebody you know Mm. why who cares what I have to say what why would I why would anybody care that this is how it happened to me it actually is the kind of magic ingredient to get your audience to feel comfortable around you Mm. and to be open to your message and if they're open to your message you know they're more likely to benefit from it and then they're more likely to tell other people yeah, go listen to this right. guy's message <laughs> no i love it i love it thank you so much that, that that makes total sense and i promise you this is the final question i asked it to you in 2016 i'm gonna ask it to you again and what does being unconventional mean to you oh well I didn't, I didn't go back and listen to the to the previous podcast, so I wonder if I'm going to give the same answer. Um, <laughs> well, it's okay. We changed, right? Like, it's been a while. It's been a minute. So I, I wrote a lot. Actually, I probably didn't give this answer because I hadn't written the book yet. I wrote a lot oh. in my book, You Do You, about, um, about unconventional wisdom to survive a conventional world. And mm. I just feel like, for me, being unconventional is really about being exactly who I am. Mm. And it happens to be... A, I think for a lot of people, it's unconventional to just put themselves out there completely without filter and without mm. trying to, you know, to kind of pretend and, and be someone, be a different person with a different group of people. Like, I am the same person at dinner with my in-laws as I am with my editor, as I am with my friends, as I am on a podcast. Like, yeah. this is who I am. I am not trying to conventionalize myself that. to suit any particular um, avenue. And if you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you don't. There's actually, there's an actress named Beanie Feldstein. Um, She's great. She's in the movie Booksmart. And she originated the role of Fanny Bryce uh, in Funny Girl. I mean, not originated like Mm. um, Barbara Streisand, but meaning like in the new, in the revival, (laughs) she Mm. originated the role. And she was kind of an unconventional choice for the role for a bunch of different reasons. And she said, you know, I learned a long time ago when I went into an audition, you know, I was either going to get it and be really happy or somebody else was going to get it and it was going to be the best day of their life and I was going to be happy for them. And when I walked out of the room, I just thought, you know, they either want the bean or they don't want the bean. Uh, and I just thought that was so great. And so for me, being unconventional is choosing to just be exactly who I am, 
mm. and not really care what anybody else thinks. I love of that. It. So that's that. I think I think for me that's the ultimate freedom that you know that you can aspire to. That what you just said there is just made me smile wide because that idea that you can be seamlessly yourself through different interactions and i often say that like i'm the same person on this podcast if we met up for a cocktail and a shrimp cocktail whatever the, i'm gonna get it right next a shrimp cocktail and a, and a is that not a thing in england shrimp cocktail i'm sure it is but like i haven't been out i've got two young kids i haven't been out yeah. in a bar in a really long time i'm like super boring but um it is it's this idea that you can be the same you can be yourself uh, you know at home and at work and and look, I, I want to say thank you so much. Where can people find, uh, what's the best place that people can go and buy the book? I'm guessing it's going to be available in every single like <laughs> reputable bookstore. But is there a particular place you'd like people to go and hang out online to go and connect with it? Well, they can go to sarahknight.com. And at mm-hmm. sarahknight.com, they can find all of the books and all of the buy links and everything, you know, and, and certainly in your market, they can go to Waterstones, they can go to WH yep. Smith's, they can go to Foils. Uh, there's, yep. you know, all, I, I, I am certainly hopeful that all of the, all of your local bookstores will be stocking it. There's also <clears throat> Amazon, um, you know, and and I believe that Bookshop.org has a UK arm now, so uh, so you can you can throw some money to your favorite indie store and still order it online and have it delivered to your doorstep without having to talk to another person, which is Absolutely. often the best way to get things. <laughs> I put, put all the links in the show notes, Sarah. Absolute delight and joy to get to hang out with you. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you when your next book comes out. But until then, everyone listening, go and get yourself a copy of Grow the Fuck Up. I think it's a book that we could all use. And on behalf of all your friends, your family members, your furry pets or your human tiny versions of yourselves, thank you. Because I think we're going to be able to show up a little bit more powerfully if we will have a bit more accountability and understand that our behaviors have consequences. So I appreciate you, Sarah. Thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to get this episode out. Thank you for having me back. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's powerful conversation. Again, if you want to get your hands on Sarah's brand new book, Grow the Fuck Up, How to Be an Adult and Get Treated Like One, you can go and click on all the show notes below. You can go to sarahknight.com and also go to any independent bookstore and support local when you can to buy her brand new book. And as I mentioned at the very start, if you want to turn my book into something actionable where you're actually going to go out there and share your story to impact the world, I'd love for you to invite, I'd love to invite you to come and join my brand new program, Own Your Story, with all the links that are going to be below the show notes where we're going to have an incredible time together and we're going to help you to unpack your story and share it out there so you can have the impact you want, build the trust, grow your audience and inspire action. So without further ado, I'll see you next time. Until then, thank you so much for listening to this very, very special episode and I hope you're well and I hope you'll continue to impact the world with your message and your story. I'll see you soon.